0: DealQuest viewers and listeners, I'm so excited to have Cameron Salim coming up on an upcoming episode of DealQuest. He has created a really innovative business in the, in the, in the auto um, sales and services uh, business in the UK, and has done some deals to get him there, uh, some lessons learned, good and bad. Uh, <laughs> Cam, tell the folks uh, what they can expect to hear about on your episode of DealQuest. Hi, everyone. I
1: look forward to... Presenting to you and uh, giving you all my tips and advice and uh, all my experiences I've, I've yeah, encountered through my business life so far. I hope it's a good lesson for you all.
0: Yeah, great. And I mean, we're talking about raising money, franchise deals in and out, uh, the way you're planning on expanding and exiting. I mean, I, I, I you know, in, in our pre-interview, I know there's going to be so, so much that's rich there. Um, you know, you've had a bit of a journey, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's it. Exactly. I've been through a real rollercoaster of business and uh, I'm still there, thriving after <laughs> COVID 19, you know. So <laughs> hopefully, be able to provide some puzzle wisdom for everyone.
0: Well, folks, you're going to really love Cam's story. So uh, definitely tune in for his episode of Deal Quest. Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out of the box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders, as we reveal behind the scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions, to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the DealQuest podcast. Let's get started. DealQuest listeners and viewers, I'm so excited to have Cameron Saleem as my guest on DealQuest this week. Uh, he is a family man, a car man businessman, all things car sales, repairs, and services, property. He's a property investor and a project manager, and thinking outside the box for long-term commercial deal gains. Cam, thank you for being on the Deal Quest podcast. Welcome.
1: Hi, Corey. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Well, so Cam, before we get into all the cool stuff you're doing now and uh yeah, and uh, you know talk about the kind of deals you've gone through i want to take you back to when you were a little little kid growing up maybe 8 10 12 years old what did you want to be because i don't know what, what was it was it about cars back then as well or was it something totally different uh
1: yeah uh, it's always been about cars with myself so it's always i've always had a love for them always have a uh, big enthusiasm for them so yeah that was always kind of in the center of my life. But, uh, I was very fortunate i actually grew up my parents are accountants so i grew up in a very kind of entrepreneurialism uh like society so everyone around us had businesses setting up businesses running restaurants shops you know it's all about commerce and trade so that was my background so as i grew up i just knew that i was going to be in business for myself it was kind of the default it was just it wasn't really a question of if it was just a question of when Love um, it. So, yeah, so straight out university, i was straight into it, straight into the defense and
0: and and did you did you did you think it was going to be in cars or were there other things when you were a kid that you were interested
1: in? No, it was actually because because my father, my mom you know both my parents are accountants by trade, yeah they still are then they're, they're still practicing. Uh, I actually followed in the family footsteps, so I was uh, I did business management and finance at university, and all my jobs were related to finance and central finance office roles. Uh, up to that point and then when i actually left university uh, i joined the family firm but all the clients all my contacts everyone that i knew they always used to come to me for their cars so asking me what car should i buy i'm looking at getting five vans for work you know how do you all buy them so i ended up basically becoming a bit of a deal packager and i was earning more commission from the banks and from the cars than i was earning with my father so he basically effectively fired me and said, he's not doing anything for us. So just do it yourself. Just go on your own. So uh, there I was sitting in his office. I had my own office within the building and uh, basically became my own little business within that. Uh,
0: that's, that's amazing. And how, how old were you when, that, uh, when you made that shift?
1: Uh, I'm uni, So I was about 23. Wow. At that point. Yeah. So it was quite, uh, so I'd start at that yeah, relatively young age compared to most.
0: So, uh, before we talk about exactly what this business is and what it's grown to, um, what also thinking back, what was your first deal of, of any type? Um, you know, it could have been something when you were a kid, old, or whatever, just whatever comes to mind, any kind of deal.
1: It was actually, when I was uh, 16, it was round about, I'm, yeah, I'm going to give away my age here, but I'm just about 1040 this year, so I'll just tell you straight off the cuff. That <laughs> yeah. is when I was uh, 16... And the internet was starting to take a real, you know, it was starting to really kick off and uh, everyone was getting online, getting their websites. No one really knew what they were, or why they needed them. But there just seemed to be a buzzword at the time during the, dot com boom. And I actually got myself a package. I bought myself a laptop and a big fat digital camera, which is about this big. That could take about six pictures uh, on the hard drive that they had and on the disc. And I started going around taking uh, pictures of people's restaurants and, uh, Writing up their menus and putting all their stuff online, so I started setting them. They were very awful, HTML, like white blue, bright green websites, zeroing yeah, all types, and uh, just a load of text. They were like that, and I was charging two hundred and fifty pounds, three hundred pounds per website, and I was getting all these restaurants online. So it was it was great, and I had about in the first year I had about fifty clients. So, yeah, it picked up quite well, and I became quite self- self-sustaining and uh, working on my own cash flow from quite a young age.
0: Love it. Love it. So, uh, yeah, so tell folks, so, you know, there might be a giveaway between the accent and the, and the uh, mentioning currency and pounds about where you're located, yeah. uh, but you uh, tell people money. where you are and what your current business is. What are you, know, what are you doing now?
1: Yeah, I, I, I live in the Midlands, in the United Kingdom, so in the middle of England, and I'm in the automotive trade, so my, my main day-to-day business is uh, Motor Saving UK, which is which it has now become uh, through you know a load of rebranding, uh, and we are a very large uh, independent car service and repair centre, and we also have a quite a, a large uh, car sales department as well.
0: Great. So repairs, sales, that kind of stuff. So obviously, um, you know. Uh, there's a lot that you do to grow the business organically, uh, you know, promotions and marketing and sales and all that kind of stuff. Um, but how do deals play into your uh, your business growth? What, what what kind of you know? What's your experience in, in deals? Whether it was uh, you know in this growing this business or anything you had before?
1: Yeah, it's because uh, obviously I, I mentioned I started off in a room in my father's office, so. Had no capital, had no, you know, I was just kind of earning month to month, just making the commissions, making the kind of margins on the cars. And really to take ourselves forward, I wanted to launch, you know, I wanted to get away from my father's office in that little room where there was just two of us. And I wanted, you know, a big substantial place. So I had to raise funds, and the funds weren't available, you know, through family or friends or anything. So I had to put the idea together I had to get everything kind of documented and I had to take it to the banks I had to take it to private finance houses and you know to acquire this place uh, I had to build it so we bought an empty unit basically and uh the cost of fitting was uh circa three hundred and fifty thousand uh, pounds I had to raise that and I raised all of it 100 percent, through uh basically private funding well bank funding and uh took on a lot of debt to get started uh but i had to put the deal together so it made sense and to be honest the motor trades in the uk i'm not sure how it is in the us but in the uk it's very very tough in the motor trades because the banks take quite a dim view there's quite a lot of failures within the industry so to persuade you know a bank or you know finance lender that yeah i'm different i know what i'm doing my idea is different i've got a different you know spin on things it was quite tough, but going through all the no's, uh, all the normal high street banks and then finally getting a yes from someone who believed in us uh, was, you know, fantastic. And that's kind of, that launched us. So we opened up, I built the place in about four months and we got going in 2015 at this place.
0: Wow. So, so yeah, I was going to raise that you know, even before you said it, I, you know, because you're young, you don't have a personal track history, Right. Uh, I mean, you would, yeah, you would do some stuff in the industry, but in terms of building the kind of business you would, you know, doing there, um, you know, I mean, most people would think you'd be unfundable, right? At that point, certainly not in terms of bank, you know, lending. So was this, talk to us a little bit more about, um, you know, it sounds like you had a bunch of no's, but you found somebody, you know, what what kind of what kind of lender was this? Was, you know, is this, a, a, you know, alternative lender? Was it a, a commercial bank? Uh, again, I, and also the structure a little different in the UK, um, like what, you know, what kind of lender was this? And how did you get into it a little more about how did you actually convince them to, you know, you said they believed in you. Well, you know, it's not that easy, right? How'd you get them to believe in you?
1: It was because uh, we, yeah you know, we, we bank with a large, you know, commercial bank here, like a day-to-day banking. Yeah, we still do today. And we just didn't fit their criteria. We, you know, right. we had no security. We had no serviceability. It was all an idea on a bit of paper. So they were kind of like, look, it's not it's not one for us that was a favorite phrase (laughs) i kept hearing and through personal networking i met a bunch of brokers uh and those brokers you know developed a relationship with them and because they believed in me and they knew that i kind of knew what i was doing and my idea was quite good it was through their personal recommendations that i managed to get into it it is a a commercial enterprise but it is an alternative lender yeah and i managed to get you know, I got a seat at the table to actually speak to them. And what phrase stuck in my mind? Uh, I'd heard it before, but I never heard anyone use it. The main uh, credit, you know, the, the decision maker of the organization, the main underwriter, he said, "I like to see the whites of someone's eyes, I like to get behind. You know, I like to get behind the scenes. I like to see what's going on, what the rationale is." Uh, you know, he actually came to site before it was even built. You know, he came to see it as an empty shell. And he had a look at the area and then what I was suggesting we were going to do, because basically we're a main dealer alternative. So where you've got all the manufacturer yeah, dealerships, we fit right below them. So we're slightly cheaper. We offer all makes and models, but we offer all the frills. So you get courtesy vehicles, you get yeah, free collection and delivery. Uh, we've got a nice waiting room on site and we've got service consultants who work with the, with the clients direct. So it's very much like a main dealer setup, but it's independent prices. And because we're independent, we work with all makes and models. So it's, it's quite a, a broad service that we offer. And it's one that's quite frankly, it's quite hard to manage. Yeah. So their, their thought process was, this guy is going to go out of control. It's just going to go like this. And it's just going to spiral and it's going to collapse. And, you know, they were right because the business has been tough. It has been very difficult to keep under control. Uh, and, you know, my accountant, she calls me a professional juggler. And I think <laughs> I might have become that over time because, you know, that... Part of funding that I got initially, I've actually refinanced that about three times. So I've restructured it. I've got released additional funding. I've actually paid it all down and I've put it into a house. I've, I've managed to get it to a point where I've got a house lender to reduce the APR on it, like the interest yeah. rate, and yeah. bring that right down. So I managed to restructure it a number of times. So I've, my repayments on it have been from like, there were like £24,000 a month and I've got it down to £6,000 a month. Wow, that little bit of green, you know, in in the monthly P and L, is taken forward. It's given me more money to advertise, more money to market the business, which in turn is growing the revenue. And sure. The cycle continues. So, well, eight,
0: eight, eighteen thousand a month is a, a big difference. I mean,
1: yeah, monthly. yeah.
0: So, I, I was going to say, I assume that first alternative lender was at a, a higher interest rate than commercially available yeah. rates, right? So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and whether um. You know, a lot of times with those, well, with any kind of loan, there's prepayment penalties, uh, 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 you know, so uh, w- did you go to, you know, how long was that initial loan? Did you go to term? Did you, w- did you take it out? Did you have to pay a prepayment penalty? Yeah, it was
1: a, it was a five-year deal. Uh, so five-year, you yeah, full repayment deal. And the way that it's structured, uh, I'm not sure what it's like in the U.S., but if you repay within one year, the penalty is like 4%, then yeah. 3% in two years. Two percent and three years, so basically, we paid a little bit. It was because it was in year three when we managed to get the turnover up to a yeah, sustainable level that was able to get the refinance on, on a property, and they were willing to do it on the business because the business had obviously shown you know, a few years' track record at that point. So, no, it, it's worked well, and uh, we're, we're constantly looking at it because I think you know, from what you said, because day to day we're trading and running the business, but on my mind constantly is. I'm looking at the overall package what have we got here how could I get this because at the moment right now we're looking at how can I open up more branches yeah what deal can I structure because now I've got a proven pilot in this site I want five sites I want to copy and paste this site and I want to get you know five sites and build it into a 5 times business and then look to sell it or exit or you know the options are just endless
0: sure so okay so there's some potential deals coming up before we go there um let me ask you just so so people understand the core business so obviously you know you 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 do the repair and servicing you do sales are the sales on new cars used cars both um Uh, yeah
1: they're both uh used cars primarily because we hold them in stock but then because we've got we've done things a little bit different to other car companies because we are a service center what that brings us is brings us a lot of data brings us a lot of customers in-house so we develop that relationship with them over time and then when it comes to them selling their car or buying a new car they trust us so the deal that we can get for them on their brand new vans or brand new yeah luxury cars whatever car really they'll just come to us and say i'm after this i'm after xyz uh bmw mercedes and audi and we'll go and broker that deal for them
0: yeah and it's interesting because I will tell you, at least in the U.S., and maybe it's true in other places in the U.K., yeah. um, most people would not think of the people who service their cars as a trusted partner. Um, in fact, you know, they're, they're just happy if they're not getting ripped off um, <laughs> you know, and, and getting at least a fair price for the repairs. Um, so you know, is, that, is that the case in the U.K.? And if so, what have you done to, to you know, really create a different relationship? With your, yeah. with your customers it's, than most
1: service places do. It's exactly the same here. So it's always the you know the greasy joke working under the bonnet, and uh, yeah. you say, "Oh, I've got this noise coming from the car," and you get the that's going to cost you, you <laughs> know, however many right. thousand. And it's the same here. We're tired with the same brush. So to get the the brand was very important. So we push the brand forward. You know, so it's like trusted, it's professional, and the way that we. Kind of approach our customers because we're not the cheapest we don't profess to be the cheapest yep. but we do a good job we can look after bentley's we can look after minis you know we can look after all sorts of cars and it's the way that we our social media is the centerpiece of all of our marketing and yeah. it's getting that message across and it's that communication with the customers and with the potential customers that we are different you can trust us because we have in the uk we have a, what's called an mot which is an annual government inspection on all vehicles a car has to have that every 12 months once it reaches three years old yep. and that in the uk that's charged at 50 pounds normally as uh, 52 pounds is the recommended government price usually garages are doing 40 pounds 35 pounds 30 pounds nothing substantial so we actually went in at 15 pounds and we're actually that's our lost leader so we're the only place in the uk that does that because people think we're crazy they think we're losing money on it but in reality we persuade people because we get them in right. we do their MOT for 15 pounds and if it fails it's free which reduces all the obstacles in that kind of sales pitch uh and then when they've been in to see us because they have dealt with our guys they've seen our place they have seen how professional we are we convert them into service customers we convert them into goal members because we have a goal membership base and they want monthly see for their car servicing for next year and then they see our marketing. They're on that email dates, you know, database, and they see our cars for sale. You know, they get basically upsold on all, all types of things, and it just develops that relationship over time. So it's see, it, it, angle.
0: It, It's fascinating to me because in many, you know, there are other businesses, online businesses, training companies, whatever, where you know having a low cost entry point and, and putting people into what basically becomes a marketing funnel, right, and being able to upsell yeah. and pro sell whatever is very standard. But certainly, you know, at least in my experience in the U.S., uh, and I'm sure it's probably true in the UK. Is there's probably almost nobody else who's really doing that well, right? Like, you know, uh, certainly not at the, you know, because it's not it's not the way this industry really operates, right? You know, to 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 look at the lifetime value of a you know of a customer to put them into a nurturing you know uh, uh, you know nurturing funnel, um, you know, to get them into your database. Um, you know those are conversations that are very common in certain industries, but in my experience, really not so much in you know in automobile sales and repairs.
1: Yeah, hundred yeah, you, percent. You said the words, and I say those words all the time. Lifetime value of customer. Where a lot of garages, yeah, because unfortunately it is a hard trade, and it is it is expensive to operate. There's expensive cost of sales, there's expensive overheads. So people are under pressure. So the garages that are just trying to basically milk every customer for their transaction value today, yeah. they do know where they're coming from, and I feel where they're coming from, but it's too much, too early in their customers relationship, and they just destroy it on the spot, so they might get that money today, they're not going to get it tomorrow, then they have to then they have to find a whole new load of customers, so they're constantly chasing their tail, whereas on our kind of, you know, our, our business model, we're looking for customers, and we're looking to basically build them into goal members, then we want to you know sell them a car want to buy their car off them and then we're just constantly developing our kind of customer journey and is that you, you want to you know we've got 30,000 customers on our database on our email right now it's something like 32,000 at the moment and I want each one of them to come for their MOT next year at least and if they're coming yeah. back to their MOT we're saying yeah you know, all the all the marketing
0: yeah, to top point. of mind, you have a yeah. regular touch point, you know, That's all it. of that stuff. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. And the more times you see a car, because over the course of one year, a car can deteriorate in so many different spaces. So the more times that we see that car, the more opportunities we'll get. So we don't necessarily need to enter their wallet on the first visit. It's going to come with time because that car is going to fall apart. Basically, right. it's going to be tires, going to be brakes. So it's kind of, we've developed our cash flow so we can sustain it over long term. And then what's been the challenge, which I've never seen in any other business, is the revenue just goes like this when we yeah. first started. And then the next year, when you're plotting the graph against last year, it doesn't even correlate. There's, there's, there's no patterns. Sometimes we're busy at Christmas. other times we're quiet at Christmas. Sometimes we're busy in the summer and you know, vice versa. So I've been struggling and I've managed to do it now, but the cash flow to remain constant. And I have figured out you know, what times of the year uh, people require what. So our marketing gets pushed out early and people pull them through. So, yeah, it's been a really interesting learning experience for me, like operating the business.
0: Well, and then, and then this gold membership you mentioned where it's basically that's a subscription, you know, subscription model, right? It's a, it's a regular annual fee, which is the holy grail, right? Everybody, I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, that's um, I've talked about this. In the past, on you know, uh, on the show, we had uh, Joel Block on um, for his second time. He was on, he does trend reports. And, you know, subscription was one one the. I mean, for many years now has been the move that everybody tries to get. And I, I think about how many subscriptions I have to stuff I don't even probably remember I have subscriptions to. You know, um, you know, I, I just said to my wife the other day, I said, I think I said something like, "Do we watch anything on Hulu?" I think we have a subscription on Hulu. Not, nothing against Hulu, but I just—I was just sort of like, "I don't think we watch." I don't think we're using it. Should we? I mean, and it's, you know. But that's the thing. It's you know, in their case, it's whatever fourteen dollars a month. Like it's you know, it's it's at a pace where you don't you know you don't think about it. I mean, I had clients in the gym. I've talked about this in the health club industry when they switch from the annual renewals to the monthly you know subscriptions, and it seemed like much fairer to the customer because they can cancel on thirty days' notice anytime. Yeah. But the truth is. They, they just stay on that thing for much yeah. longer than, than when they had an annual, you know, renewal. So, um, you know, so it's brilliant. And it also smooths out your cash flow, right? You know, so yeah, yeah, really exactly. smart, yeah. really smart. Um, and it,
1: it was tricky to figure out because when I took advice on it, which is, you know, I think again, the crucial thing you have to ask around, you have to find out for market experts. When I was looking to develop it, it was kind of, you know, you'll become if you subscribe. So if you've had your car service this year, you're going to need your car service next year. So it's that That's gap. We want your money basically for the next service, but it was the main objective is to make sure you come back next year. So it was that retention. Also, we give you a very flash-looking. Uh, I wish I had one in hand, but a gold membership card, and yeah. on that you've got all your. You get a load of free services. Yep. Yeah. So you can have free aircon, free gas. You can have free forward alignment. You can have free. Bulb replacements, fluid top-ups, blah blah blah, and we like the gym. We've got over two hundred members now, and I think less than a hundred even come in for any of that stuff.
0: Well, that's right. I mean, that's right. I mean, and that's the classic. That's right. That's the classic thing. I mean, you know, if everybody who had a gym membership, if half the people, yeah. a quarter Tons of the people yeah, yeah, yeah. who had a gym membership actually showed up, they wouldn't. You know, they wouldn't be yeah. able to operate. They'd be, you know, they'd Thank be up, back. Yeah. You
1: know, exactly that. that, That's how my experience has been as well. So now, you know, in reality, if we actually sold like for this center here, if I sold seven and a half thousand, like we got about twelve hundred at the moment, if I sold seven and a half thousand memberships, we'd be at capacity in terms of our cash flow requirements. Yeah, that would be us done. So that's a business in itself. So that is something I'm looking at. Like if we open up another site could I just sell 10,000 memberships in that local area and that's it, we're done. And Got then it. move on to the next and then the next. But it's a difficult sale. That's the thing because people like you, it's what you said. People are sure, especially in your industry. But yeah, but it's a little bit unique in, in this industry. Yep. So trying to get, get, and again, it's the way the brand's been built, multiple locations, etc., etc. et cetera. It's going to yep. help people yeah. have that reassurance that you're still going to be there next year, that you're going to be a branch near to them, yeah, you know, that they can go to. So,
0: and the interesting thing that's that's part of this, at least my theory is listen, I know that, um, you know, I, you know, I, I pay for those kind of things all the time, right? And I, and I, I'm even very aware that I may not, you know, I'm um, in, in the States here, one of the movie AMC movie theaters, right? Has this, um, I forget what they call it, but it's this, you know, whatever membership yeah. thing, right? And, um, and, they, and they advertise it that you can see three movies a week. Well, yeah. who's going to see, like, you know, they know nobody's going to say three movies a week. I mean, I, I you know, I'm not even going to see three movies a month, probably. Yeah. But when you look at the math on it, if you see two movies a month, like, at one movie a month, you lose in a few bucks. Um, yeah. at, at two movies a month, it, it, it makes sense. But even at one movie a month, you get these perks, right? You know, I get to skip the line at the concession stand. I get to, you know, like, I, you know, right? I, I mean, I, I have a special line, you know. Um, yeah. And for, you know, the the thing about, um, these kind of things. I mean, that's a tiny example, but um, you know, a bigger example is it's you know the reason why I fly one airline all the time because I want to get status, right? So I get my upgrades and I get to board the plane first and I get to you know whatever. And I'll I'll even take a less convenient flight sometimes to be on that airline to get my my points and my mileage and my dollars or whatever. Um, so you know, but 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 you also then getting a better clientele generally, I think, because the people who are willing to do that, right, usually are in a position to be able to do that. And they're, they're the ones who are making the decision to, um, uh, to arbitrage money uh, in exchange for, you know, time and other benefits. So they have the money to be like, you know, it's an arbitrage, right? To me, yeah. whatever it's, you know, I, I'll pay, I'll pay extra for a flight to, you know, because I know I'm going to get the perks. I'm going to sit in the front of the plane I'll pay extra, know for this subscription because uh I don't want to wait on it on the line for popcorn, right? You know, it's like, you know, it's because yeah. my time's valuable, you know. So
1: Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And that's yeah, we have similar things here. I've, I've got a, a I've got an Odeon pass for uh you know, annual membership, and I can go and see as many films as I want. I think right. literally one a month I'll, right. I'll go to see if that and I would right. have gone anyway.
0: Right, right, <laughs> right. right. exactly. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreycupfer.com assessment. That's coreycupfer.com assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. So you mentioned a couple of times that, you know, you're looking to expand other locations, maybe get five instead of one. Um, you know, what's the, I mean, it, it, so first of all, it, is the vision that those are all going to be company owned or you do you, have, do you have any partners? Are you going to bring in any partners? What's the, what's the vision for the expansion?
1: That's the big question at the moment because the, the vision is. Because, I sorry, I did skip a little bit, you know, when we were talking about the business when I was starting up. It was actually when I actually opened the service centre, I did it from my business, but I did it as a franchise opportunity. Okay. Because I didn't know, you know, I I know the car finance and car purchase and all that, like, you know, religiously. But the service angle, I did go in as a franchisee initially to a new franchise that was opened up. Yep, and unfortunately, that franchise within the space of about nine months, it, co- it collapsed. Like,
0: All right, so that's right. Let's talk about that now. now that you yeah. mentioned, I remember we discussed this a little yeah, bit in our prior yeah. conversations. So yeah, so listen, um, yeah, so we've had um, I've had a couple of people who uh, on franchise. My my entrepreneurs organization uh, past presidents former Judy Briggs owns a couple of franchises. She was on an early episode. Um, but talk to us a little bit about, yeah that decision. I mean, you know, at a high level, I think people understand the benefits of a franchise is that supposedly you're getting into an established system. Yeah. You know, you get they're going to give you, you know, the, your, they're going to train you. They're going to give you your processes and procedures. They're going to do some marketing for you. Like all these are all the things that are promised. Right. Um, in exchange, obviously, they're going to take a piece of the action. Um so that's, you know, that's the, that, that's the promise. And obviously it works for some, but, you know, it didn't work for you. So to talk to me about your mindset and the reasons why. I mean, maybe I summarize some of them that you went into it. And then, you know, what, what went wrong?
1: Yeah, it was it's exactly as you said. That, that was my thought process. The process was, I know cars. I know the area and this franchise opportunity came along where I could open up a service center which was set very nicely with my car finance brokerage and car finance business yeah so that was the thought process and we had a lot of customers we could bring in to the franchise like to our, our new center so and I did it because I didn't know the car servicing trade I didn't know you know I didn't know anything more than anyone else so I know that yeah. you need brake pads and discs and I know okay. that you need hand belt service here and there but that's about it and so I into the franchise we opened up this place and that franchise had a different brand and it was you know they had one pilot site which has gone really well and the the franchisees were lining up across the uk so they would sold i think about 15 by the time that i joined but i was the first one over the line as opened because i got my funding through my own business and through my own connection so i got my funding really fast i got the site built really fast i got it all opened up then when it came to the, so we're all open. We've done our big opening with, uh, yeah, the local lord mayor, and we had we had everyone down here, all the trade people. Massive bash. It went really well, but then it was kind of like, uh, where are the cars? Where are the customers? We had tumbleweed in the workshop. We had this massive new workshop, brand spanking new facilities. I've just paid for it all. I've just borrowed three hundred fifty thousand pounds and paid for it all. I've got installments at twenty four thousand pounds a month that are kicking off in 30 days I need some cars and where they fell over was the processes like the training like they trained me how to look at every car and like I had to look at all the brands and everything and like all the basic training on it all but that was only part of the picture because obviously they needed to train me as a business owner how am I going to do the marketing how am I going to do the finance how am I going to manage invoices because these yes. places make so much paperwork it's unbelievable because the amount of invoices that you get you get five invoices for one job like inbound purchases so you have one invoice outbound so it's like yeah really heavy on the purchases so there's a lot of paperwork generated how do you manage it or nothing the manual when you started going through it is it was, it was empty had no content so <laughs> we were in a we were forced to be in a position where it is a survival or these guys are going to take us under because we yes. were going so slowly I wanted to do some marketing so I was like, look I need the cars on the ramp I need I need them in the business I want to push this marketing out I had to go through an approval process yeah. some my ideas they then edited the head out of them sent them back three weeks later then I'd get it out and it's like hang on we've got a month now and that's just cost me 20,000 pounds in installments you know and I've got four and like you know I was approving it day by day and that's just cost me 20,000 pounds you taking three three and a half weeks to come back to me so I wasn't very happy and it emerged. The other franchisees weren't really happy either. The perspective, the guys that were starting to open up and basically at the end of it, when it all kind of, we had to kind of sit down at a table and say, oh, look, this isn't working out. We need to go our own way. We need to continue with this business, but we don't want to do it under your umbrella. We need to terminate the franchise agreement. And they pushed back, of course they pushed back because they are their tenure really super clad uh, sure. leaders, your franchise agreement and we were tied into it so they said if you even if you do trade UOS are eight percent royalty UOS you know us a franchise fee UOS XYZ so it's kind of like well we actually went along the lines of you've missold this to us you said ABC and it's not here it's just not pre- prevalent It's you haven't provided that to us so you've breached your own agreement Yep. So it went along those lines. And then at the end of it, it was, it was all amicable. Uh, we all walked away. Then I rebranded. But what I did get, I got a lot of training straight away through you know, through those guys and le- learned the trade, so to speak. But everything else, I plugged in for my own knowledge. So the marketing, the, the branding, everything else. And the way I wanted to take the business, I was released. So basically all this stuff that I've just been discussing today, that was all kind of off my own back uh, once I got that released. Wow. To do that, I had to actually buy out their pilot site. So I okay. bought out their pilot site, uh, again raised additional funding through my favourite lender, uh, and uh, bought the pilot site in. And I strategically closed that down over a space of uh, about a year and a half. Uh, I ran their lease down, and I swallowed up all their trade. So I bought it into my own site, and uh, oh, yeah. it. Oh, so <laughs>
0: That's fascinating. So not only, well, uh, did, the, did the did the other franchisees? When you said we, is it was it you or was it what it well, all the franchisees?
1: Me on my own, but the other franchisees, because uh, there were different states. So yeah. one is put, yeah, some were putting deposit down, they're looking for premises. Other people had opened, so there another two garages that had actually opened in like London area of England, and one of them just shut down. He ran out of money and shut down, and that was my fear. So he actually closed yeah. up the doors and just. Just gave up he threw the towel in and the other guy he actually continued on his own he jumped on my back and followed my process but because he was so far away the brand didn't affect him like the the collapse and the closure of the franchise brand he continued with that brand on his own and i just rebranded and i carried on on my own route so
0: so So you kind of deal to to get out of the out of the franchise agreement they released all, all claims. You had no obligations yeah. to them. Part of that was to buy out their pilot site. Yeah. I have to um, that out. and then which is which is brilliant. I mean I guess on that part they're 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 trying to salvage what they can. And on your part, yeah. you know, um, it made some sense. Uh, sounds like geographically, whatever it was close enough, uh, where yeah. you felt you could you could uh, you know, so you wrote out that lease and basically. Basically, that's how you seated. at least I'm sure you did your own marketing and whatever for other, you know, but, but yeah. that, that's partially how you seated some of your some of your clients by, by shifting them from the pilot site to your existing facility.
1: Exactly that. Because the pilot site like, in itself, it wasn't the standard that we built here and the, the way that we wanted to brand it and the quality. Is that you know, exactly what you said about going to a car repairer and, you know, greasy Joe's basically, and that's what that place was? Wow, it was an old place it had a little office and a little potter cabin outside load of cars on the front a load of broken cars with the bonnets up and it just looked like something out of lightning mcqueen you know it was uh it just wasn't very pleasant so i had no ambition to kind of continue with that site but i just acquired it just to secure the position and i just ran the lease down and when the landlord turned around and said oh do you want to renew do you want to do this do you want to do that i just said no No. we'd like to exit so we stripped the site took all the good bits Took some cars, took all the good stuff, and uh, we just let it close. So we let it close organically, and uh, we we sucked it all into this
0: place. That's really amazing. I mean, it's not because I've seen it many times, but if you think about it, I mean, in most cases, when they're doing it right, when a when a franchisor you know comes into the space, yeah. what they're actually doing is taking an industry where it is less professional, where it is less systemized, where it is less you know prof- you know impressive. Uh, and actually, so you would think the pilot site would have been like levels above the yeah. you know the the usual site because that's how you distinguish yourself as brand as a franchise to say hey you know it's in the U.S. you you know you had what Midas mufflers and Meineke and these you know some of these yeah. uh, you know and and their whole thing was you know hey we have these sort of really clean efficient you know sites you know you know what you're getting you know yeah. you, you come in here it's not you know so you would think as a franchise, oh, that's what they would do but but clearly they they, they weren't a good franchise in many ways including not having a uh, their yeah. pilot site be a, something that you can be proud of or yeah. want to yeah. emulate
1: exactly that and i think it's because the other factor is you know getting back to the question of what i want to do moving forward yes the franchise because i've got such a bad experience from that and i've and to be honest, I worked with the other franchisees trying to help them. So yeah. the, the one chap who's still in business today and he's doing really well, like he, you know, hats off to him, he's done really well on, off his own back. But the other guys who basically just gave up, I did try and help. I did try and approach them, you know, like, this is how I'm continuing. Like, you need to do this, you need to do that. But they were so, like, in a negative spiral. And they yes. were in such a bad place that they were just so upset about the whole situation i was upset you know I'd, i walked into this of course. i felt a bit stupid i felt a bit like used you know i felt like i trusted the wrong people so i felt like you know this isn't a good situation but you've got to take what you can from the situation and uh, it was the benefits i took was i've got into a new market which i didn't know a lot about now i do not know quite a bit about it yeah i've seen behind the scenes i know how it operates so now i can make a go of this myself and let's put all that in under the rug, basically, let's deal with that later, all the losses and all the costs that it's incurred I'm free you know i've got I've got no franchise or i've got no one telling me what to do, so I'm back to how it was before, but now I've got a big fat garage with uh, a lot of potential output because you know sitting in my one little office in Birmingham and now sitting in this place you know we're we're talking about revenue figures we We used to do two two to three hundred thousand pounds in the office, and here we're doing seven hundred thousand a month, so it's a lot bigger scale, you know, so it's kind of it's helped yes. me rock it to that level. And now I'm looking at other sites. You know, I was talking to someone the other day, and it was if I open 10 of these, this could be a hundred million pound business. Yeah. And then on the flip side of that, you know, how much are we going to sell that for? It's, you yeah. Know, so, so awesome. I want to, I want to yeah. go
0: there. And, uh, yeah, this has been such a rich conversation, and, and we don't have a huge amount of time, but, uh, but I want to, uh, before we go there, um, you know, it's really interesting because I want to point out to our listeners and viewers, I talk about this a lot. And, you know, this is the real great illustration of when I talk about the mindset of an entrepreneur and the mindset of a deal maker, right? You know, it's not just, it's just understanding skills or structures or whatever, but there's a mindset, right? So, and what I love about what Cam was talking about is that, you know, he had some other folks that were relatively similarly situated, meaning that they were in, you know, they were franchisees of this bad franchisor and look at what happened, right? You got one other guy, right? obviously has that right mindset of an entrepreneur you know uh and and has been successful as well, but then you have i mean I think you said they were about fifteen right so you've got thirteen others who didn't who didn't make it and who were let the negative experience sort of bring them down and they didn't they didn't you know step up they didn't react as a true entrepreneur does in my mind you know what we do is we figure it out right no matter what like yeah. You know, and th- not that we don't get the press for a while, we're not upset, whatever. But then we usually relatively quickly get into solution mode, like okay, now what am I going to do about it? Which is clearly what you did. And then also on top of that, you have not only an entrepreneurial mindset but a maker's mindset because not only did you negotiate a deal to get out of your franchise agreement, but you 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 actually bought the pilot site, right? Which and you so you understood the value of that, even though it wasn't up to the standards you wanted, you understood that the customer flow, maybe it was a key part of getting that deal done. But you yeah. were also willing to, again, put aside, I mean, you actually did a deal to buy a pilot site from a franchisor who was running a horrible pilot site and who you didn't like and whatever. And I'm sure a lot of the other folks couldn't even get past like doing, you know, the idea of doing a deal with somebody that they were upset with, you know, yeah. but you had that, you saw that deal opportunity.
1: Yeah. Because personally, from personal perspective, sitting around the table with these guys after the conversations we've had saying that we want to exit. Yeah, you know, he was looking at me with daggers, you know, and it was he could feel because you know, emotionally for him, yeah, you because know, they didn't set out to be bad franchise it it's just the way it worked out. And for me too, you yeah, know, I was seen as the person who destroyed it. I was a person that pulled the trigger. Right. So we're sitting around the table with them at their site, signing over all their assets, it was awkward as hell. <laughs> right. I was looking at the table, they were looking at the table just signing, signing, signing. And it's just thank you very much shook their (laughs) hands and And here I am with another site and this is a site that I attended a year before to see their demonstration to see all their presentation and at that point we didn't know enough about the garage the business the service business to realize actually this place is a dump right it's not good for them I wouldn't bring my Porsche here I wouldn't bring my Mercedes here I wouldn't bring you know I'll bring a, a little Ford Fiesta maybe but it wasn't the right place. So when I got behind the scenes, I was like, yeah, this place is no good. So, but that, like my father, was dead against it because he was very, you know, you're wasting money, you should just do your own thing. But that to be honest, it was the fear factor of these guys are gonna go back, they're gonna re- they're gonna regroup, they're gonna get their business in order. I might have a legal claim coming at me in three years' time. So if I take out their source of income, if I take them out of the business, they won't be able to do it. So I yep. okay, it cost me a good yeah, forty thousand pounds in uh, acquisition costs, and then I think I lost another hundred thousand in the you know the bad trade and the closure, and yep. moving everything. Yep. So yep. it was big, yeah. And we were quite early in our business as well, so I had to like borrow that.
0: Out. It was mean- it was meaningful money.
1: <laughs> it was, and it was for me to to kind of smooth over the cracks and to kind of you know create a smooth launchpad yep. for what we were trying to do.
0: Yeah, but again, you know, you had the vision. You were able to see the future, the opportunity of the deal, the opportunity of the of the business. You know, you you, you know, it's one of the things I talk about all the time in my negotiating trainings, and I you know, talk about in my Authentic Negotiating book. Is you know, if you can, people who are super successful negotiators are have clarity, right? They they create yeah. clear vision. They know exactly what they want, where they where they're going. They're able to stay detached to the outcome. And I'm not saying that you didn't get triggered at times or whatever, but ultimately exactly. you were able to step back and not have your emotions, you know, rule you. you. You not have, you know, you were able to see the the picture, you were able to stay detached, make logical decisions. And then the equilibrium part, you know, this is my CDE framework, uh, clarity attachment, equilibrium. The equilibrium part is you could sit in a room with these guys, right? Who yeah. you didn't like or whatever. And not have it, you know. You were able to keep your state, keep calm, do what you needed to do, get the deal done, shake their hands afterwards, and you know, and move on. You know, and not everybody can do that. That's, you know, for me that I always talk about the internal body of work, you know, that it takes. And, and as entrepreneurs and, and deal makers, we often focus on the external. Um, but you know that that ability to to see clearly and stay calm and and make logical and rational decisions, not let your emotions take you over you know, made the difference between you and the other 13 people who just took a loss on it.
1: Yeah, that's it. And it, it is keeping those emotions in check. Yeah, I've I've been taught before as well by my advisors that it's a sport, business is a sport, and you've got to play the game. And if you get to, uh, you know, you see a lot of businesses, you see a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, when they're going through their downward spiral and when they're going through their, you know, failure, a lot of it's down to their emotional state. And they let themselves get sucked into that state and they can't see a way out. But quite often it's taking that step back, reevaluating things, looking at it from a different angle, taking advice from people around you, you know, saying, Yeah, look, I'm having a bit of trouble here. What am I doing wrong? And they sometimes they can put you straight, they can put you straight on the path, and you'll be like, Oh, I didn't even think of it like that, or I never thought that would be a possibility. And it's just, you know, you, you gotta take. I always say to my guys, what cards do we have on the table right now, right in front of us that we can play? That's yeah. not we The cards that are on the floor, or they're over there, or in someone's pocket. What we got, so and if all we can do is play those cards. If we don't play those cards, we got nothing.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. All right. So super quickly, because we're 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 time on time. I want to get to my last two questions, but I don't want to the leave problem. our listeners hanging. Let's talk real quickly about um, so this, these future expansion plans. Um, you know, you, you said still figuring it out. So what do you you know what are your thoughts? I mean, listen. You, know, you could have company-owned stores. You can bring in business partners. You could become a franchisor, right? Uh, you know, uh, you know. Have you, you know, what have you been considering? Um, you know, and you don't have to give away any trade secrets, but like, what's been going through your mind in terms of this? Yeah, no. The to
1: be honest, it's, it's all business talk, really. So, uh, I've been looking at all the conventional models, really. Franchisors, being a franchisor and having franchisees, I don't think I could do it because yeah. it's demand management and it's the You know, I don't profess to know all the answers myself, and I wouldn't want to be in a position where you know a lot of people are reliant on me with their own money in the business. So just because of bad experience I've had previously, and with this business, it's so geographically dependent. Like it won't work across the UK because we are in the premium sector. Yes, so you have to pick and choose your territories quite well. And the model that I've built internally now, like with all the KPIs, with all the processes and all the systems. I actually believe that I can manage this quite well organically and yep. I can have various sites and they can all be plugging the information to me because even though I, I say this all the time but I work in the business like in the physical business premises but I am like I know how many cars are getting in I know how, many, how much output we're doing but I don't know what's in tomorrow in terms of what kind of jobs I know what how many we've got and what our projected turnovers for tomorrow and what our margins are but I don't know what types of cars what types of jobs we've got in That's yeah, the service manager's job, the sales manager's job, he knows the pipeline. So I've detached myself to that extent. But I want to grow this organically. So I want to purchase more sites and I want to replicate what we've done, use the successes we've done to do it a lot faster. And because obviously I visited here, I messed around with the franchise, I did this and did that. So my my growth here has been, you know, quite good, but it could have been a lot faster if I hadn't had all that stuff to worry about and yeah, wheel spinning in the mud, so to speak. Uh, so really, organically, I'd like to open up more sites and copy and paste exactly what we've done here, and see where we go.
0: Love it. And then, listen, you said a key thing. Obviously, as you grow in any industry, um, you know, when you've been able to model that you can do it in one, one location, not only it, it, it raises the value of your business. Not you know, not only does obviously you're going to be more valuable because you have more revenue and profit, but also multiples go up as you know, um, companies yeah. get bigger, whether it's an EBITDA multiple, EBITDA multiple whatever the me- valuation methodology is, bigger co- companies get higher multiples. Um, so, you know, that's, you know, uh, you mentioned before building towards, you know, a bigger exit, you know, clearly that's, that's the ability to do that. And listen, if you've been able to do it, uh, you know, as it, has it only been, I know you mentioned debt finance, has it only been debt financing so far. So uh, no, no, no other equity, uh, uh
1: just debt financing. Uh, Yeah, well, I I say no other like family, soft equity (laughs) has been injected here and there, but it's been, uh, you know, it's it's all been organic and it's all been uh, debt funding uh, from the start, really. So, right now, I know you mentioned partnerships, JVs, other bringing other directors on. I'd bring on the board. You know, if it grew bigger, I'd bring on people because you know, as I said, I don't profess to know everything. I take advice on finance. I take, you know, I take professional advice on marketing. Uh, I enjoy marketing, I enjoy sales, but I still take professional advice on it all. Uh, but I'd like to build a board, and I'd like to have all the expertise in the house. But I'd like to build it organically, uh, just to retain that control and to retain the vision. Because you know, again, I've seen a lot of big companies that have been growing, and they start losing the vision, they start losing the message over time. And I think it's because they start bringing in, you know, if you go public, you know, if you start getting. Yeah, you know, investors funds in it's, you can start to because if I haven't got the fear or if I haven't got the drive that everything's on the line, I don't think it will grow that fast because I think yeah. you can't sit back down. You, know, yeah. if you if you become a fat cat and you're on the board and you're getting a big salary and you know it doesn't really matter what happens with the business. I think. You want to stay, I
0: agree.
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> it. you need to stay on the edge.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know it's it, it's interesting, folks. Like uh, what I love about uh, many things, I love about this interview, but it's. You know, so what? One of the things that you can see here is that even though Cam's main growth strategy is organic, including, you know, getting other locations, right? Because he could he could acquire other locations, he could have business partners, he could franchise. Because none of that, there's still so many deals involved in that, right? There's there's the bank lending, the financing deals that he did early, and the refinancing. There's you know the, the the franchise in, franchise out. There's the buying the, out the um, the uh, um, uh, the 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 pilot side, um, and then you know obviously building to that ultimate deal, which is his exit deal. You know that uh, once he gets to the scale and size he wants, and you know it's appropriate time, uh, you know to to be able to set for that exit. So, you know my my uh, assertion on this podcast has been that every company can and should do some sort of deal uh, or prepare to be uh, you know d- doing at least that ultimate deal on on exit, um, and you can do that you know in various ways. Uh, Okay, I'm listen. I, I, um, uh, you know, if I am uh, when I get to the UK, I'd love to come by because I, I am I am okay. thrilled at seeing the businesses, you know, in in various industries that that especially the ones that are doing it differently and have you know and have taken an industry where um you know there is not a certain you know level of uh you know, professionalism and the level of quality of service and innovative business approaches. And, you know, and it sounds like you've done, done a lot of that. So congratulations on your success.
1: No, Thank you very much. And it'd be great to have you. So do let us know when you're in the UK.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so, all right, last, last two questions. Uh, one, if people want to find out more about you and your business, what's the best place for them to go?
1: Uh yeah, I'm I'm on all social media platforms. So uh, you can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, everywhere basically, either through MotorServe or you know, you've got my name on the bottom of it, I believe. So you can uh, you can look me up. I've got quite a unique name. So hopefully you will be yep. able to find me. And everybody yeah, and,
0: and for those of you who are just listening on audio, I mean it's all gonna be in the show notes, all the contact information, but it's Cameron K-A-M-R-A-N, and the last name is Salim, S-A-L-E-E-M. Um so yeah, just so check them out. So, um, Cam, my final question on the podcast is always around my highest value in life, which is freedom. Um, and for me, that means everything from freedom for, from all people, from oppression to uh, the reason I'm an entrepreneur and I haven't had a boss in over 30 years, uh, you know, because yeah. I want to be able to create what I want to create and do what I want um, to do. What does freedom mean to you and, and how does it impact your business and life? That's a,
1: yeah, that's a good question. It's because uh, I'm my own boss. And I always, yeah, I have been from a very young age. And to work, I I love that. I love what you just said, exactly the same. I like to do what I wanna do, where I wanna, you know, how fast I wanna grow it, how much work I wanna put in. But it's a freedom to work because I like, even though I don't need to, I work 70 hours a week right now and I have done my whole life, you know. And my wife thinks that when I hit a certain point, I'm gonna turn into nine to five and I'm gonna turn into this. I'm just like, no, do you know what? I'll find something else. Right. There's always something else. There's always going to be something else. It's going to be, I'm going to grow the car sales side of the business. I'm going to be growing you know, the property business. I'm going to be growing this, going to be growing that. So it's really, I, I love it. I love the freedom to you know, transact, to do business, to do commerce. Uh, and I feel that you see people you know, in Middle Eastern countries, you see people that are like you know, new immigrants into countries and they're restricted in what they can do. That is like torture Uh, when i when i see people in those situations where they can't transact when they can't get government licensing i just feel that in the western world we're so lucky to have this freedom that we can yeah we make this decision to go into business and you know for a lot of the world they can't so it's that that's the ultimate for me
0: love it love it love it and i realize you know you have this property investment business as well we didn't even talk about that i'm sure there's deals on that side whatever so maybe maybe at some point down the line we'll have you back on but Cam, I really appreciate you being a phenomenal guest on the DealQuest podcast. No, right, thank you very much, Corey. It's great to be on. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls—a free monthly ninety-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.